I don't know what Easter is like for you guys. Uh, my parents went to church uh, growing up, and so I always lamented Easter <laughs> because I knew what was going to happen to our family Easter morning. They were going to explode. Everything that we knew about Christianity went out the window when it was time to get ready for Easter. <clears throat> now, I admit, I was part of the problem. I've, I have grown to see that in myself now, that maybe it wasn't just my parents. But I think that putting a young lad, eight or nine years old, in a suit is, is torture. And I verbalized that and would waste all sorts of time and it would get ramped up closer to closer when we had to leave and we couldn't be late. You can't be late for Easter. I'm sure glad this church isn't that way. <laughs> Little backhanded compliment there. Uh, <clears throat> Easter was crazy for us. And my dad would be flying. You know, I'm like, oh, hold me, Jesus. He's just going, <laughs> buzzing around. Had to get to church on time. It was crazy. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one um, to take home, there's one in the information table in the back there. So if you're new and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to uh, have you go home with one. But... But Easter morning was no different when Jesus rose from the dead. It was a crazy morning. Um, it's Luke chapter 24, by the way, and we're going to start. I don't know what verse we're starting, and I can't remember, but you'll see it when we get there. So Jesus, you have to understand the picture. Anybody watch 24, that, movie, that show 24? I know that a lot of you do, and you're pretending you don't. I do. I do. It's not very pastoral of me, but I do. The premise of it is that this happens in a 24-hour period, and you get to watch one hour of Jack Bauer's life, and then right when it gets right to the crux, you have to wait until the next week. That's the whole point about it. Easter morning was like that. Essentially what happened was it starts off with a little earthquake. Okay, so there's your big drama that happens, and the stone is rolled away. And so Mary and Mary come running down to try and put spices on Jesus, and he's not there. And furthermore, there's some angels there, and they're talking to Mary. I mean, it's high drama stuff. The only people who were there that really knew what happened were these guards. And they're like dead men. They're knocked out. So Mary gets there. There's an earthquake. The stone rolls away. They get there. There's angels. The tomb's empty. The linens are folded up. And it's like, man, who knows about this? The guards know. And they look at the guards, and all of a sudden, boop. Boop, boop, boop. End of the episode. What? What did you know? What happened? How do we know? Only the guards know. So you wait all week long, which is just the next hour. And, and Mary and Mary go, this is crazy. They run back to go tell Peter and John. They don't believe them, but they go and run back anyway. Sure enough, Peter and John see the tombs empty. Who knows about it? The guards know about it. And now they're gone. Well, if we can just get to the guards, they'll tell everybody that Jesus really rose from the dead, that he's the Messiah. But in the background, the Pharisees are paying off the guards, telling them to change your story. You're like, no, boop, boop, boop. It's like, oh, man, this is what it was like. And we're going to meet two guys who are in the middle of this. We only know one of their names. We're titling this thing A Journey with Jesus. 
And it's two guys who were going from Jerusalem to a little town called Emmaus. And they were totally wrapped up in this story. Let's uh, start with them. What happens is they're on the road to uh, Emmaus. It's seven miles away from Jerusalem and they're walking. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. They're in the middle of their conversation. It says in uh, verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Kind of this, the, the verses we use there, the words we use for talked and discussed aren't strong enough, really. If you really go to the Greek, it's conversing and disputing. These guys were totally into what was going on. They're disciples of Jesus, but not uh, part of his 12. They were following the story from the very beginning. And things aren't working out the way they plan. And if you look at your notes, it spells journey. I didn't do that to be corny. Okay, well, I guess I did kind of mean to be a little bit corny. But journey is a very important word to me. If you're on my staff, there's some words I use all the time that they're tired of me saying. Intentional, organic, excellence, and journey is another one. Because I believe that no matter where you are in your life and where I am, from Pastor to atheist, we are all on a journey. It's called life. And things are happening to us. Circumstances are happening that might be out of our control or might be because of our control. And Jesus wants to just come alongside and meet us on that journey. And that's what he's doing here. He shows up. And these guys uh, are conversing and disputing. You know how it is when you're in a, a crisis in your life? Maybe, wives, you're tired of your husband, and so you're talking on the phone with your friends, and you're talking and disputing. You're saying, I'm about ready to leave him. No, no, don't leave him. You know, do you know what he did today? He asked me, what's for dinner? Like, I'm his chef, you know, the whole big thing. I go, you know, easy. I don't think that's what he was saying. You know, they're talking, they're in it, but it's emotion and, and craziness. Or at the job, he got that promotion. That was my promotion. You're at the water cooler. Well, you kind of, you kind of disrespectful to the boss. I mean, I'm not, I tell him how it is. That's what I do. I walked into his office and told him, you're not doing a good job. And just because I'm truthful, I didn't get the promotion, right? You're discuss, discussing this stuff. We do it with politics. Who's going to be the president? Who's going to, you know, if, if we didn't have this guy, my taxes wouldn't be, you know. Going, we have talk radio shows that go right at this stuff. This is what they're doing. And Jesus shows up. And he says to him, what's up? <laughs> In the Greek, if you were, went to seminary, you'd <laughs> know that. They're right in the middle of what their circumstances are. So one of them saying, man, it's, we shouldn't be leaving Jerusalem. He said something about three days. Something was going to happen in three days. I, I, he's going to be resurrected. And the other guy's like, who, who gets resurrected on the third day? Seriously. I mean, let's just keep going to Emmaus. My mom's got some food cooking. It'll be fine. We made a mistake. And the other guy's like, well, he might. Yeah, no one's ever been resurrected before. Oh, I'm sorry, except for Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. Right. I'm sorry. He healed some blind people. He he uh, helped a paralytic walk. Like, yeah, maybe you're right. And Jesus shows up. Jesus responds to us the same way. No matter where we are in our journey, Jesus shows up and says, what's up? Let's take a look. They're conversing and disputing. 
Their circumstances were consuming them. Sometimes we miss Jesus when our circumstances consume us. And they responded in the same way. Let's go over these seven things. Number one, Jesus joins us where we are. He joins us where we are. Listen to this. He shows up and he says, what's going on, guys? And they say, they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these last days, in, uh, in these days? He, what things? He says. They basically say, are you an idiot? You don't know what's going on. Where have you been? That's what they're saying to Jesus. Now, check this out. This has been blowing my mind all week long. Jesus lived a perfect life, okay? He's God sent down in human form. And he lives a perfect life for 33 years. Three, his last three years were intense ministry, seeing things that no one had ever seen before. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing the blind. Women who've had uh, uh, internal bleeding for years just touch his garment and they're healed. Not only that, he's got intense opposition. The Pharisees are constantly, constantly, constantly nagging him and bugging him and questioning him and interrupting him. And then this guy who he's poured uh, three years of his life into betrays him. Then he gets beaten and beaten and beaten. Then he gets hung on a cross and he takes the sins of the world on. And then he gets buried. And now he's triumphant. I mean, this is it. He's conquered sin and death. What in the world is he doing wasting his time with these two knuckleheads? We've never even heard of these guys before. They're nobodies. If I were Jesus and... I'd had all that, those problems and all this kind of stuff, and I finally was raised from the dead, I would start freaking people out because we'll read that he can just appear and disappear wherever he wants now. So I'd kind of like appear in pilots, like when he's having dinner, like just behind him and like tap him on the shoulder and then just disappear. Pilot's like, what's going on? To kind of just get Pilate back a little bit for what he did or show up at the, with the high priest, you know, and... Like take one of his things and hide it so he's looking all around. And Jesus is wasting his time as far as I'm concerned. Or at least start walking through Jerusalem going, uh-huh, that's right. You thought you were going to kill him. Come on, bring it on. Something, something to make this kingdom exciting and to, I mean, come on, you won, dude. You won. No parade, Nothing. Doesn't Jesus have better things to do? No, he does not. Not really. Listen to me, church. Jesus wants to meet us on our journey. Could he start buzzing around the sky and put fireballs up in the air and show that his kingdom is all that? Yeah. But he doesn't operate that way. He meets people where they are. He joins us where we are. And he asks him a question. He says, uh, he says, what things? What are you guys talking about? What are you discussing? And that's how God approaches us. From the very beginning of time, Adam sinned. And thanks to Adam and Eve, we all have to get a job. <laughs> okay? And work real hard. It's really lame. And so they sin, and that starts this huge cycle. And God walks into the garden and he doesn't go, oh, way to go. Not. 
What's wrong with you guys? You didn't like the garden? He comes in and he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Right in the middle of his sin, in his hiding, in his circumstances. Oh, man, this, is, this isn't going the way I planned. And God comes in and he says, where are you? Or when the rich young ruler comes, uh, this rich guy, he comes to Jesus and he says, I, I want to be saved. H- how do I do that? And Jesus says, what do the scriptures say to you? Remember when Cain kills his brother Abel, God doesn't come in and just wipe him out. He says, hey, Cain, where's your brother? What's going on? When Elijah, he's a great prophet in the Old Testament, he's being chased by this queen Jezebel, and he's scared to death for his life. His circumstances are totally consuming him. And he's in this cave. And uh, God comes and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? This is how God meets us on our journey. You're an atheist? Hey, what's up? Why do you believe that? What are you doing? See, God's kingdom is all about people. God's kingdom is all about people. It's all about God's glory and how people fit into that. He joins us where we are. Second thing he does, he observes our perspective. He actually listens to these guys. He says, says, you know, what's going on? And they say the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He he heard him out. What's going on? And they were able to pour out their heart. And they've lost hope. And they're frustrated. And they're confused. I mean, obviously, they've been following Jesus around enough that goes on in this section of Scripture. He says, and some of the women thought that they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. We, we, We don't know what's going on. Some of us are in that part of our journey. Where we, we, we know God's there and we're going, God, oh, this is where I'm at. I, I, I didn't expect my life to be where it is right now. I, I thought I'd have a better job. I thought I'd succeed. I thought I'd have a better spouse or better kids. I thought I'd have better parents. Whatever. If your kid, thank you. See that? I always look after these kids here. <laughs> right? And so Jesus meets us at that time and says, what's going on? And so they say this, the chief priest handed, handed uh, Jesus over to be sentenced, and we don't know what's going on. They were so consumed with their circumstances that they were missing Jesus. They didn't recognize him. I want to just quickly point out three mistakes they made that I make in my own life all the time. First is they failed to see God's hand in adversity. Now we know, because not because we're any smarter, trust me, but because we know the end of the story, we know that God had his hand in Jesus' death the whole time. We know that this was God's plan. And and we'll see later that Jesus explains this. It's all part of God's plan, but they missed uh, the, the hand of God in their adversity. Don't we do the same thing? Every time something goes wrong, don't we go, why is this happening to me? What, this isn't fair. Because we love comfort. And we never stop to think, Maybe God has us in a place in our journey for a purpose to grow closer to him or to meet him or to open our eyes and say, is he around? The second thing they did was they failed to see past their own agenda, right? We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We'd hoped this, we'd hoped that. We really thought, oh, if only he could have done this. 
They didn't think that maybe there was another kingdom. In this church, for you visitors, for those who've been here, you're so tired of this, I understand. We talk about two kingdoms. Okay, the kingdom of the earth, which is I do this when I'm talking about our kingdom down here, and I do this when I'm talking about God's kingdom. So often we're so focused down here looking at our own circumstances and seeing how it's going to fit in retirement and a college fund that we miss that the very hand of God might be moving in our lives. We, we, they didn't look past their own agenda. And thirdly, they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. They failed to see how those two things might combine, that their own agenda to be redeemed and God's plan to bring a Savior might reconcile themselves. That the resurrection is it. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, it was just the thing. Great. That was a good run. Good stab at it. But he was. They failed to see it. Listen. Our ability to see Jesus is directly related to our ability to look past our circumstances. And listen. I am on the same journey you're on. And I know it's hard. No matter where you are in that journey of trying to figure out who God is and how he fits in your life, we have to look past our own circumstances. Third thing, he urges us to move forward. So he joins us and he listens and says, what's going on? And we explain all our hurts and our past. And then he says, great. Now let's go to the next level. Let's take it to something better. And so here's what he does. He kind of comes down on them a little bit. (laughs) He said to them, how foolish you are. Thanks, Jesus, for those kind words. I'm a fool, essentially. And how slow of heart to believe. And then he talks about, didn't you know that Christ had to suffer? And it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, this is where we typically back off. God's there. We kind of sense it. We tell him how upset we are. Things aren't working out the way we are. Aren't you the only one who doesn't know what's going on here in my life? Aren't you doing something? And God listens and he says, I love you. I understand. And then he calls us to something higher through the scriptures. He says, that's great. Now I'm going to explain to you what's really going on. And that's where we typically back off because it's like, man, this relationship isn't going well. It's like, well, it's because you're living together and that's not the way God designed it to be. He designed you to be married. Don't judge me. (laughs) Right? Ah, my things aren't going well at work. Well, that's, I understand you're frustrated, but the Bible says to whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And you're kind of doing it just for the next raise and doing it to try and see where, It's hard. But listen, the people that truly love you will speak the truth to you. And God truly loves you. And he's given us the truth in our lives. And it's the Bible. It's the scriptures. And that's what Jesus uses. Now, Jesus uses the Old Testament because he was kind of in the process of doing the New Testament at that point. Right. But now, through the power of God, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, which allows us, gives us insight into our life. And so Unfortunately, some of those things in the scriptures say we're living in sin, that that's our that might be our problem. We don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. The people who love me come up to me and say, John, you know what? You, 
can I just point out something? And I'm like, no, you cannot point out something. How about I point out something to you because I'm the pastor and I know more Bible than you do, right? It's hard. But those people who love me know, come on, Jesus is urging you to something greater. He joins us and he observes what's going on, but then he urges us. He says, how foolish you are. And then he goes to the scriptures. Listen, there will come a time in your journey when God corrects your thinking. You're wrapped up in your circumstances. Everything's going on. And listen, this doesn't happen just once, unfortunately. That would be awesome if he just like corrected my thinking and then I'm off my way. But he's constantly there, constantly guiding, correcting our thinking. And he does it through the word of God and through other people encouraging us and exercising uh, their gifts. Here's what Ephesians 4.15 says. Listen to this. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. So we show up in our circumstances. Jesus meets us and says, what's going on? Explain it in your own words. And then he says, I understand what your problem is. It's a lack of faith or you have this sin or whatever. How we respond is what makes all the difference. I mean, we can hear all day long that we have a problem with alcohol. We know that. Okay, fine. Thank you. Thank you. It's until we go, I need to change that anything actually happens. Jesus will always be faithful to meet you on your journey. He'll always be faithful to listen to your heart. He'll always be faithful to urge us to do something else, to take it to the next level. But then it falls on our shoulders. It falls on our shoulders. We have to continue the dialogue. He responds to that invitation. Jesus always responds to that invitation. Here's what happens. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. Isn't that great? Here's the Messiah just risen from the dead. and He's doing like a little acting thing. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So what happened was he explained everything to the script in the scriptures concerning himself going, yeah, this is it. And then he turns and he goes, "Okay, guys. See ya. Waiting. What do they say? Wait, Jesus, hold on. Well, they don't know it's Jesus yet. We're getting to that. That's the good part. I just ruined the whole sermon. No, I'm kidding. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. Do you want to come in? It's getting dark. Sure. Turns right around. No problem. That's what I had planned all along. So he went in to stay with them. Again, where does he find the time to do this? Is there not great things he's got to do? He's God. But he's still in this kind of fleshly form. Doesn't, can't he, doesn't he need to zip himself over somewhere where there's like lots of important people? No, he doesn't. It has nothing to do with status. As we continue to invite Jesus more and more and more, he continues to faithfully respond again and again. What does that look like in our life? Well, 
So we're in our circumstances and God begins to move in our heart and we begin to be told some things and it begins to resonate, it resonate with who we are. And then we get a book. I don't know. I got to get a book. I got to read a book on Christianity or something. I don't know. I got to get some, right? Or I'm going to go talk. My Aunt Gertrude goes to church and she does weird stuff. So I'm going to call her. What, are you, what, are you, what is this all about? God responds to that. He responds to the book. I'm going to just try to open my Bible and read it. He responds to that. I'm going to go to church. He responds to that. Every invitation to draw closer to God, he responds to. It's really cool. (laughs) Jesus will continue to respond to all your invitations. And here's what I would encourage us to do. And I don't care if you never knew, have known God at all, or you've known God for 30 years. He's urging you to something higher, and he responds when you go, I got to get deeper with God. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, for anyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open." We just keep going, keep going, keep going. What is it all about? I, I would encourage you, if you don't typically do church, give it four weeks. Just as an invitation for God to do something. Four weeks, what's it going to cost you? It doesn't, like, it's not like 50 bucks every time you come here. It doesn't even have to be this church. Mariners is a great church. Sanctuary is a great church. Saddleback's a great church. There's great churches all around. It doesn't have to be this one. I just encourage you to say, I'm going to make an invitation for God to speak with me. I'm going to take four weeks and keep coming back. Nothing to lose. But here's what happens. So they do this. They invite Jesus in. And here's what happens. Jesus never allows us to settle. He never allows us to get it completely figured out so that we go, well, I got that done. Going back to work. Watch what happens. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What? Come on, Jesus! You just spent all that time with them. They finally get it, and you're like, see you later, and you're gone. (laughs) What? What in the world? See, it was never designed that they would recognize Jesus and then Jesus, oh, great, good. Now, how can I serve you? How can I, what can I do? Man, you know, let me clean up over here. Let me do this. I've got all sorts of miracles in my pocket. We can make, let's make the house bigger. You know, bigger house. Hey, what do you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone. (laughs) You like that? Yeah. (laughs) He's gone. And listen, if you're looking for a Jesus that just does miracles, he's not going to let you settle there. He's going to bring you to the scriptures like he did with these guys and say there's some life change that needs to happen in your life. And if you're a person who's just in the Bible and it's all about how much you can know and uh, that's the way I was, God says, there's, I'm out of here. There's some miraculous stuff that can happen. He never allows us to settle. So here's what happens. Their eyes, this is what the Greek, if you want to get fancy, it really meant their eyes were completely open and they came to fully comprehend him. They went, 
oh man, this is it. He is the Messiah. This is something different. But it wasn't enough. Just to go, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. He's the Messiah. I got it. Awesome. Great. It wasn't enough. Jesus is like, don't settle there. I'm out of here. Why would Jesus allow them to leave now? Because he doesn't allow you to settle. Now listen to what happens. They asked each other right after that. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning? Some of us are at that part in our journey. Our hearts are on fire. We know there's something better. We've tried it all. And we go, I can't do it anymore. And you know the story and you know how Jesus died on the cross and your heart is burning. I believe on Easter there are churches all over where people's hearts are burning. When they step out of the car, they know God's going to touch them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're going, yes, I, I, I am done living in my circumstances. Jesus never allows us to settle. So he splits and they got a choice. Well, there he goes again. <laughs> Can't keep up with Jesus. Here's what they do. The sixth thing. On our journey, Jesus expects risk. He expects risk. This is no religion. It's a relationship, and it's risky, and it requires change, and Jesus expects it. Watch what happens. Jesus takes off. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So what do they do? They immediately took a risk to follow him. They understood him. They accepted him. They said, yep, okay, I'll go for this Jesus thing. Yeah, oh man, my, oh yeah, yeah, he's the Messiah, that's it. And then he's gone. Now listen, we already knew what time of day it was. The re- one of the reasons they were urging Jesus in is because it was nighttime. They were saying, you can't go on to another town right now. You need to stay here. And so they prepared this meal. That had to take some time as well. And then when Jesus broke the bread, all of a sudden, and he passed it out and gave thanks, they went, oh, this is it. And he's gone. And now it's dark outside. And they've got a choice. Are they going to take a risk and go to Jerusalem? And they immediately do that. They immediately do that. Listen, Jesus still meets us in our journey. No matter who you are, he's meeting you right now. He still observes where you're coming from. Now, he knows everything. We can ask God, don't you know what I'm going through? Yes, I, he knows. <laughs> he still urges us to move forward. He still responds to our invitation. He never lets us settle. But he expects risk. It's going to be a change. So these guys take off. Now what's fueling them right now? Well, two things are fueling them. They understand the scriptures. They're beginning to see, man, that, it does tie together pretty well. But there's this burning in their heart. There's a passion. The Spirit of God is doing something to move them to something greater, some type of risk. 
I want to put this up here one more time. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Some of us have been a Christian for a long, long time. And we've never had that burning of just like, oh, I finally, those, that chain that was bugging me for years is broken. Some of us have never made a decision to follow Christ and he's just on us. And part of us is like, oh, I want to go out in the dark, but it's scary. Lastly, he yearns for deeper relationship. No matter where we are on that journey, Jesus yearns for a deeper relationship. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is, is with everyone. We're getting close to, the, to his death part. And he yells out, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how I have longed. How I've longed, how I've yearned to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. God is yearning for a deeper relationship with you and with me. It doesn't matter where we are on that journey. I might memorize the whole Bible until I got a huge Bible head and I can talk about any type of, you want to know what scripture, there it is right there. I could I've spent all my time giving to the poor. And then and you look and you go, oh, he's the most holy man that ever lived. I spend weeks up in the mountains just meditating and floating around. <laughs> I, I don't know where the floating part came from. I, it just seems so holy to me. If you could float around. Woo. That's where I am. Never, hardly ever sinned. No evil thought enters my mind. God yearns for a deeper relationship with me. He yearns for it. Because he's so holy and so loving, we can continue on this journey and just keep getting urged on to higher and higher things. I want you to see really quickly what happens here. The first thing he gives is peace. Okay? So what happens is, in verse 36, these guys show up with, uh, with, with um, uh, th- once they take the risk, they show up with the other 11, and they're in community now, and they're talking about all the exciting things Jesus done. This is basically church right now. They go to church, essentially. They take a risk, they walk in, they get in community, and they're all going, yeah, I saw him too. Oh, man, Simon saw him. He was walking with me down the road. Get out. He was, yeah, I know, and we broke bread. It's awesome. They're in this thing, and Jesus just pops in. This is what I wanted Jesus to do with Pilate, and he does it with the, with the disciples. He just pops in, and he says, it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's the first part of him yearning for deeper relationship. He wants us to be at peace. What does that look like? It does not look like comfort. Once, once we put that life behind us and we press on towards knowing God through what Jesus did on the cross, it's not comfort, it's peace. And it's better. <laughs> it's better. He says, my peace, he says, peace be with you. Now, part of that was because he just scared, scared him. <laughs> he just scared him. So he's like, hey, peace be with you. 
But Jesus has been saying this all along. Earlier, he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, not down here, up here. So he says he gives them peace. Then he gives them this great thing, insight for life. He gives them insight for life. He gives them the gift that keeps on giving. And it's how to read the scriptures. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is the other thing Jesus gives us. When we take that risk and we begin to go, we begin to have that burning in our heart, and then we know we take the risk, and then God says, peace. And then we get into community with other people who understand, and our eyes are begin to get open in the Scriptures, and we go, this is really true. This really works. Jesus gives them that. And then lastly, he gives them the presence of God in their lives. It's amazing. In verse 49, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The very presence of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit. No matter where we are in our journey, the process is the same. God's there. Where are we going with all of this? Well, the bottom line is Jesus wants a continually deepening relationship with you wherever you are in that journey. Wherever you are, Jesus wants a deeper relationship. And some of us here may be at a point in our lives where we're just, it says their face was downcast and they're just, I don't know. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm giving up. I'm going back home. None of what I thought was going to work has worked. Can I tell you, Jesus, he's there. He's meeting you there. Some of us, we may know he's there, and we may begin to tell God our story, going, dude, where in the world are you? Are you the only one who doesn't know what I'm going through now? Can I tell you, he's listening. He knows. He knows exactly where you are but he's got something to say. God isn't just about listening and going, oh, that's too bad. Come here. He says, look at the mess. This is why. This is why it's so messed up. You made a big mess. Or, I know it looks bad, but trust me, I'm going to do a great work through this. But he's got something to say. As the worship band returns, I, uh, I want to talk to one other group. And I pray that there are some of you here in this group. Your heart is burning. <laughs> Your heart is burning. There's something going on. And maybe part of you is going, oh, man, you mean to tell me I got to go to church? <laughs> It is not about going to church. But there's something, and maybe it was when you stepped out of the car. You're going, oh gosh, that's the Spirit of God. And so your heart's burning. You're going, man, I, 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 I've heard about this thing, Jesus, and I, 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 I know there's something. God is doing something in your life. He wants you to take a risk. 
He's, it's like he's going, I know what's going on. When you want to invite me, I'm ready to go. But I'm not going to keep bugging you about it. I'm not going to sit on your front porch and knock and go, hey, hello, hello. I'm gonna, I'll always be there, but you need to invite me in. We are in the